0: you'll find your passion and you'll end up in that area or pursue your passion. It may take a few years. Maybe you want to be a clinical dietitian for a couple of years before you get a master's in public health or an MBA or a master's in informatics or something like that. Cause you want to get a foundation. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: We ever have so many questions and no one to ask so they're just wasting away on google searches you'll forget about in an hour or so we had that same problem and that's why we created the rd to be podcast a resource for dietetic and nutrition students looking for
0: answers that their peers don't have
1: we have students macy and emily and registered dietitian carl barnes we engage in conversations and learn from rds join us weekly as we gain insight into the unique journeys of registered dietitians all over the country
0: Welcome back to another week of the RD to b podcast. I'm your registered dietitian host Carl Barnes. This is our weekly podcast where we sit down with a different registered dietitian each week to highlight the diversity of opportunity in the profession and really dismantle the notion that there's a traditional career path um, by showcasing just all these awesome different paths that uh, amazing dietitians take. I'm really excited to be sitting down with Marty Yadrick today. He is a accomplished dietitian, accomplished uh, leader in our profession, and really excited to learn more about um, what you've done, what you've accomplished, and a lot of tidbits and and wisdom. So thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Carl.
1: And I'm Jenna, your RD-to-be. So Marty, could you give us a little background into your dietetics journey? Like what made you decide to become an RD, your educational background, and a little bit of what you do now?
0: Yeah, I uh, became aware of the profession because I, I, this is what I usually say is my sister is a dietitian. She's eight years older than me. And I think that her going that pathway helped me to be aware of the profession as an option. And we went two very different pathways. She was a, a university professor for 30 years and retired a couple of years ago. Whereas I started out more traditionally through an internship in clinical dietetics starting out, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been a a fun journey for me. I I was a clinical dietitian the first nine years of uh, my work in the profession, and then started working on an MBA about midway through that because I thought, well, I needed. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay a clinical dietitian my whole career, um, and then that MBA opened up a door for another job back at the university department where I got my internship. It was more of an administrative. Uh, position in the department doing budgeting and human resources stuff. Um, and then I ended up moving to Los Angeles and getting hired by Computrition, which is the software company I've worked for now for the past 29 years. And so my area of practice has kind of uh, moved into an area called Nutrition Informatics, which is the use of technology and information in, in nutrition and dietetics. So, And I've been there for 29 years, so that's kind of a synopsis of my my journey.
1: <laughs> yeah, awesome. And so specifically talking about nutrition informatics, it's definitely a rising topic, a rising career field, especially in today's era with technology. And so if someone's, say that someone is listening to the podcast right now, and they're like, what the heck is informatics? Like, what does that even mean? You kind of gave the little uh, tidbit into informatics of like, Uh, how it relates to nutrition, but could you go a little bit more in depth about like what you do day to day and how informatics plays a role in it?
0: Sure, sure. I mean, the whole idea of informatics is using uh, data and technology together so that you're not having to do things by hand or looking things up in a book like we used to have to do back in the the eighties and before. Uh, and using that information to mine data to make better decisions going forward. So really, every single practice area of dietetics, as diverse as it is, we all use informatics in some way, shape, or form. I mean, a clinical dietitian is recording notes in electronic health record. If they're using uh, NCPT, the nutrition care process terminology, that's informatics related. If, if you're in community nutrition and you're um, working in client records, working with your clients, or working as an outpatient dietitian, analyzing a patient's diet using some sort of software program. Uh, certainly if you're in food service management management and you're uh, updating costs of the items that you buy um, or looking at labor costs, anything like that, you're using some sort of tool uh, to practice in your area of dietetics. So it's really something that all of us touch in one way, shape, or another. The people that more specialize it in it, like an area like me, are people that maybe work for software companies where their software automates hospital nutrition departments. Or they've even maybe moved on outside of food nutrition departments to IT departments. And they're now like a clinical analyst working in areas like uh, diet order management, how the diet orders are listed in the electronic health record, things like that. So it's it It's something that we're all doing, but then those people like me and others that are primarily practicing in this area, like basically 100% of what we do is informatics related because we're always using data or, or mining data or saving data, analyzing data to do what we do day to day.
1: Yeah, and so what made you specifically interested in the informatics part of dietetics? Because like you mentioned, your sister did her route with university and she had her unique um, experience as a dietitian. But what what made you decide to carve out your experience as going into the whole data informatics that realm?
0: Yeah, well, it was sort of uh, by chance. Uh, My uh, partner, we were living in Kansas City where we live now, but uh, he got a job in Los Angeles he got a job transfer basically to Los Angeles back in 1993. And so I moved to LA without a job at all. And I thought I would try to get maybe a faculty job. I don't have a PhD, but maybe something that would just require a master's and that went nowhere. And a friend of mine said, why don't you call Ellen Luros who was a dietician who founded the company I work for. And within a few weeks I had a job and I've been there 29 years. So the whole idea of informatics uh, I, I didn't know that's what I was doing, but that's the area that I'm in. And when I, when I really got more involved in it was about 2009, when I took this introductory biomedical informatics online course that they call the 10 by 10. And the name just comes from wanting to train 10,000 healthcare professionals under informatics by 10. And I, I took that course Uh, And then you have the option of taking a final and getting three graduate credits from the university that offered it, which in my case was Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. And then I finished that and they they had a graduate certificate program in clinical informatics, biomedical informatics that was like 21 or 24 credits. So I decided to keep going because I was interested in the coursework, the, the topics, and I finished that graduate certificate and then I thought well you know what now I have half a master's in informatics why don't you go on for the whole the full master's which is what I did so I spent you know a couple more years just taking a few classes uh most of it was online a couple courses I had to go to Portland for just a few weeks at a time but that's and then and then the academy created the nutrition informatics DPG a few years ago so I think that's kind of that that journey from being in an informatics and not realizing it was called that to considering that my primary practice area now after all these yeah, years.
1: Yeah, awesome. And uh, it sounds like it's definitely come full circle and it seems like you've definitely been one of the, founders of like kind of at the beginning of when informatics, you know, before it was even realized to be informatics. And so with spending so much time with nutrition and seeing it grow over time, have you seen like informatics, have you seen a lot of growth or just do you see a lot of opportunity in that field with dietetics?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I, I, there's Uh, some programs like internships and graduate nutrition programs that will ask me on an annual basis to do uh, a general nutrition informatics presentation so that people understand what that area is all about. And I never cease to be amazed at the things that I hear from the students in those classes, like there's an internship consortium in Los Angeles that I still do this for uh, since COVID, it's been online, but I used to do it in person. And I've had, and that's a large group of interns because it's several internships put together. There's like 70 interns in this classroom when I talk. And invariably, there are three or four that have already written their own apps. They've, they've programmed their own apps, you know, and these are people in their, mostly in their early 20s. Um, or I, or um, I just see what some of my colleagues are doing uh, with mobile devices and the expansion of the use of mobile devices in any area of our practice. Uh, so it, it's exciting to see that change and I'm just amazed at what I learned from people that are, you know, internship course, so You guys grew up with using computers. I mean, ever since you were toddlers, there was some sort of a computer for you to use, so uh, that's a, a huge advantage. Uh, but I think that there's unlimited possibilities for people. Uh, a lot of the jobs are hospital-based because they deal with electronic health records and that kind of information. But it's not limited to that. I mean, the, some of there's some people using uh, Andy, which is the Academy's health informatics infrastructure and online web portal for recording client or patient visits. They're using that. Uh, in countries in Africa to keep track of people's intake of things like that or for food insecurity studies it's not limited to just hospital stuff so
1: yeah and it sounds like especially that field of dietetics it's kind of like the sky's the limit like however much you're willing to go into it you can like really just get that much out of it and so you did mention that before Core you made that leap into informatics with dietetics in LA mm-hmm. you were a clinical dietitian for nine years yeah. and so um when you made that transition over from being like a clinical dietitian to informatics were there any skills or experiences as a clinical dietitian that made it like not necessarily easier mm-hmm. to transfer into informatics but were there any takeaway skills that you had being a clinical dietitian yeah. that kind of carried well,
0: over? I will never regret the the those years I spent as a clinical dietitian for many many reasons and and certainly in the job that I have now, um, I can talk the talk. Uh, th- I mean, I'm not up on every single nutrition aspect, but at least I'm familiar with. When people are asking a question, I know what I know what they're talking about. And, and my uh, even though our company has 16 dietitians. Uh, as employees uh, on the sales team that I work with, I'm the only dietitian. So if I'm presenting, doing a software demo for dietitians, I can answer pretty much any question that they have. I can relate to if they're talking about a patient going NPO or a pediatric hospital, when they keep track of the amount of leucine that a pediatric patient is getting, Uh, you know, I understand it. By contrast, where I've really been at a disadvantage, at least initially was, I was sort of a clinical dietitian, uh, sort of a, like a food service snob. Like I thought food service was uh, I, I wasn't interested in it. It was important, I loved to eat, uh, but I wasn't as interested in learning about it. So my undergraduate curriculum choice was uh, called human nutrition, where I took physics and other things like that. And I didn't have to take, I only had to take one food service related class. And my internship was a completely clinical internship. So I went out of that and into my job years later a competition with no practical day in day out food service related background. And so that was a learning curve for me, just understanding what issuing was. And I mean, I understand the terms, but, the, the clinical dietetics area, I had a day-to-day knowledge of, I can understand it. Whereas the food service area, I really I really didn't. I feel a lot more competent about it now, but that was really where choices I made back in the late 70s, early 80s were a tiny bit of a disadvantage because it w- was not more of a generalist program that
1: I was in. Mm-hmm. Under- and And actually referencing to kind of the well-rounded experience, as an undergraduate student, like, you know, getting that food service community and clinical um, experience. When it, then you saying that you didn't really have a lot of food service, would you advise undergrad and dietetic interns, even though like, even say that someone just hate, doesn't want to do clinical at all? Would you still advise them to at least get their, like, do you still think they should have a well-rounded experience and at least have a couple you know, just a little
0: bit. I, I do. Now, I know there are some of my colleagues that feel like that doesn't need to be the case anymore, that that you don't have to always start out in clinical. But I would never, I've never regretted the the knowledge that I've gained and experience in, in that area. And I mean, the last time I was a clinical dietitian was 32 years ago. But I'm still using information now. That I gained from that, so I, I, I think that at, at the very least, if your internship, if you the type of internship you get accepted to has a clinical rotation, I think you're, you're at least get some exposure to that area. Um, whether or not, I'd say yeah, but definitely go work for a couple of years as a clinical dietitian. I, I don't know. I think it can't hurt. But if people really feel right away that they're going to be miserable every day at work, I don't want that.
1: Okay. <laughs> It's kind of just figuring out you know just kind of getting the definite check off the box like okay i can say that this isn't for me because i've experienced it and i you know got at least some exposure to it yeah. and so mm-hmm. yeah
0: i mean i have dietitians i worked with back in the 80s that uh, are still working as clinical dietitians this many decades later you know and mm-hmm. they're getting ready to retire now. but i mean they were perfectly happy with it so you got you got to be happy You you don't want to be a person that dreads Monday mornings. Absolutely. I always you know people say TGIF and I'm kind of like uh, weekends are boring. I'm bored on the weekend. (laughs) You want to enjoy. mm -hmm.
1: And that's good because honestly, kind of shows how much how interesting informatics is and how interesting your job is for sure. Because definitely, a lot of people think, oh, a dietitian, you're constantly talking to people all the time or you know just making meal plans but a lot of people don't really focus on the tech side like the yeah. whole and especially in today's era of technology the un unta- like the untapped side of technology and the dietetics yeah. profession
0: yeah i think everything that's going to be coming is just pretty amazing
1: mm-hmm. yeah and so you kind of alluded a little bit before how um, the academy made a DPG for nutrition informatics and um, just the whole idea of the academy in general getting involved with informatics. And so uh, how did you, did you specifically get involved with the academy through that DPG or were you involved?
0: Yeah, it was a long time before that. Actually, uh, the first time I was on the academy board of directors, uh, these two dietitians in the Washington, D.C. area came to the board and said, "Here's this area of informatics, and the physicians are in it, and nurses are in it, and we're not in it yet. And it's there. We need to become part of these discussions and incorporate informatics practices into everything that we do. And of course, this is when nutrition, the nutrition care process, uh, was has, was being developed, and the terminology was being developed, and all that. So." that's kind of what put it on the map for me is these two brilliant dietitians named Lindsay Hoggle and Elaine Ayers came to the board and said at that time in 06 they wanted a DPG and the board felt at that time that well informatics crosses over every single area of practice so it isn't necessarily a unique practice area well that you know th- we just didn't know any better at the time and so so it wasn't until what three or four years ago, that there was actually nutrition informatics DPG. But as as I got involved as a board member of the academy, working with these two dietitians, Lindsay and Elaine, uh, and all the efforts that they were involved with with the academy related to, uh, like in 2010, the academy created what was called a high tech action plan to go along with the 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 um, high tech act. Uh, Health Information Technology for Economic and Clinical Health Act, that was right around the time of the, uh, the uh, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, like about 09, right after the recession. The first thing President Obama signed into law was this era, ARRA, and the High Tech Act was part of it. So Lindsay and Elaine came to the Academy and said, Well, the Academy needs its own high tech action plan. What are we going to do? And uh, they really helped set the stage for everything the Academy's done related to informatics, which now has resulted in uh, the informatics DPG and a huge involvement in that in that area and educational webinars in that area and all that.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's been quite an evolution since. So
1: Absolutely, since. yeah. And so, and I'm sure that you've spoken to a lot of nutrition students and a lot of younger dietitians or just dietetic interns, people in that realm of dietetics. And so do you think that, d2Bs that specific realm, do you think that we're accessing all of the Academy's resources that we can be? Because at least I know for me, when it comes to, like I only found out recently that we do have an informatics DPG. Uh-huh. I also found out recently that a lot of nutrition students don't really take advantage of these DPGs and MIGs. Yeah. And so do you think that there are other ways that students could get more involved with the academy?
0: Well, it is, I mean, Absolutely, positively, be an academy member, because you then have access to all these resources. And some of the some of the webinars are free of charge, and they're certainly reduced price for uh, members of the academy. Now, I know I realize that belonging to a DPG, each one of them is is an extra bit of money, which for a student that can be kind of uh, a burden. Uh, so I would say, look at the list of DPGs and, and member interest groups, and see what you think you could afford and that you're most interested in and join those. Because then you'll have access to you know, a lot of the, um, the community of interest, the sort of bulletin boards that are available with questions that people pose and help that people need with things or ask for suggestions for presentations. Uh, lots of resources like that, not to mention some webinars that are either a lot of times are free if you're a member of the DPG um, or certainly reduced price from that of what non-members would be paying. So I I think the Academy's resources are really, they're huge and they're untapped a lot just because people don't uh, dig far enough. But belonging to a DPG in your area of interest is to me the, the best way to get access to the materials that are available, whether they're webinars and or other information like that.
1: Yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, there's like 26 DPGs. And so that's yeah, like,
0: like, that. like yeah,
1: mm-hmm. that's a pretty handful of very specific, like niches or niches of dietetics that like, it you is. probably at least have one connection to as a student. Yeah,
0: for, sure. I mean, I, for example, years ago, I mean, I think most, most dietitians get really excited about the concept of sports nutrition. And so mm-hmm. at the time... Uh, I got involved with the former SCAN DPG, the sports, it was called Sports Cardiovascular and Wellness Nutritionist. I was working in cardiac rehab at my clinical dietitian job. So I was the dietitian counseling patients that had heart surgery and heart disease and all that. And um, our hospital also owned a fitness center out in the suburbs. And I would go out there and do sports nutrition uh, counseling, weight loss counseling for those clients out there. Uh, and so I got really involved in the scan. The It's now set two separate DPGs, one that sports, human performance, nutrition, and the other is cardiovascular and wellness. And, but I got involved in the, the DPG uh, and actually got on the board and was the chair of that DPG back in the mid-90s, even though that little bit of counseling I was doing at the time was my only area of of practice in that area so i guess i guess what i'm getting at is there there are areas of dietetics that you want to work in or are working in or plan to work in and then there are others that you're just really interested in learning more about there Mm -hmm. are all sorts of dpgs that i've been members of for years just because i'm interested in the information not that i'm practicing in that area so yeah that was sort of a long Oh no you're that.
1: perfectly fine and actually so because what you mentioned with kind of the sports nutrition DPG and how you eventually became chair of it did was your motivation to become chair of it because of just like your passion for it or because you were just interested in it or
0: it it, it was a passionate group of people and, it, and this is a, another story like how I sort of fell into it okay so i was working in cardiac <laughs> rehab and that was a major area of scan and their symposium in 1985 was in Colorado, Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is where I grew up. So I'm like, oh, I get to go see my folks and go to the seminar. Well, and at the time I didn't care whether the seminar, the, the conference was gonna be any good or not so good or whatever. And then I went to this meeting and it was like, oh my God, where'd all these people come from? They're all highly energetic, motivated, interesting, friendly, outgoing. And it really got me. Uh, excited about that area and so every year then I went to that symposium and I kept going to the leadership saying hey I'd really like to get involved I want to volunteer for something it took about three years of asking before they finally found a job for me to do and then you know how that works you start doing one thing if you don't screw up too bad then they ask you to do something else and then finally they put me on the ballot so that's kind of how that evolved. Uh
1: Uh, that's and that's. Mm-hmm. That. And it's kind of cool just hearing your story and how, even like in your professional and also extracurricular with dietetics, how you just kind of fall into it. But it would you say that you kind of fell into it because of your passions? Like your passions kind of led you from each thing? Or? I,
0: I think so, um, either directly or indirectly. I mean, obviously, I, I really care a lot about fitness and eating well. Mm-hmm. And so scan was kind of a perfect fit in that area for me. And um, back in the nineties, I I was a I forget what they call it, I was part of the Speakers Bureau for Gatorade, talking about hydration. And so I went around giving talks on the importance of hydration to coaches and athletes during that that time frame about a few years back in the nineties. And that was really a lot of fun to do that because I like I love to work with athletes and I loved helping to, to teach coaches what really works so what Mm -hmm. doesn't work in terms of proper hydration and all that um so yeah it was it was kind of like an area that I thought was fun and interesting and I cared about uh even though I wasn't 100% working as a sports nutrition professional
1: yeah and I think that that's a mm -hmm, that's a great thing that nutrition students can really take away from just because you don't have to only do clinical or you only like you Know, like, you have to be involved in public health if you want to do public right. health. Like, definitely with through the academy and stuff, you can get involved in literally, oh, any sure, mm-hmm. just because, um, like, for example, like, just because you did the health coaching for sports, you were still able to be chair of the um, is it was it scan? It was called uh, scan, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and cardiovascular. yeah, yeah.
1: And so, it's really just like your passions can lead you anywhere through the academy. And so, we did talk a little bit about before, like the leadership positions that you held both like in your professional and through the academy. And so were there any unexpected things that you learned regarding leadership or holding these positions that you were able to take away from? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it, it, I started out in my local district dietetic association as like the co-chair of the PR committee. So kind of started out really, really small. And we did some exciting things like got a billboard on a major freeway about the RD being the nutrition expert. This is back in the mid eighties, late eighties. And we got uh, area mayors and TV celebrities to keep track of their diets for three-day. We did like a, they did a three-day intake. We did an analysis that we didn't have software like (laughs) there is now in life. But what what I'm getting at is, it, it was a great way to start and it got me more involved at the the district level than the state level and the DPG level and then the national level and it's been a great, a great learning experience for me. Um, one of the things you do learn as a leader, uh, and it's a little hard to accept at first is that you can't please everybody, and there will always be people that are unhappy and will complain and or you do a presentation and like if five is high and one is low and you might get all fours and fives and then one one and you wonder (laughs) what did I go where did I go wrong Uh, or if you're a leader like I was on the academy board for several years I was president one you know back in 08 09 and uh, you want to do you want to do right you want to do the you're trying to do the best you can (laughs) and there are always going to be people that are they're not happy with that but that's just we're a very large organization and people have different opinions on things. So it, it kind of helped me. I don't know if I want to see it, it helped me grow up, but it helped me realize that, you know, uh, I'm okay, I'm working as hard as I can. I'm doing everything I do in good faith and openness and honesty. And if people don't like it, then that's okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that it was sort of a, a good moving into an older, not older adult, but feeling like an adult. You could accept it uh when I, when I was first elected president back in 07 that one of the foreign presidents said to me you know you become the chief complaint department <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, that, but it's not a bad thing it, it helps you grow it helps yeah. you that, De- uh,
1: mm-hmm. definitely a good learning experience well, and like and, and what you mentioned with kind of no matter, pretty much no matter what you do in a leadership position, there's going to be someone who doesn't like it, or you're going to have to deal with conflicting opinions, and you're going to have to deal with someone just having a negative outlook towards you, and so if someone is in a leadership position, and even like talking, you know, smaller level for a nutrition student that's in an extracurricular leadership position, and they're trying to make a decision, do you have any like tips or advice when it comes to making those big decisions, how to divide between Am I making this decision to please people or am I making this decision for the betterment of whatever it is that I'm leading?
0: Yeah, I think it's hard not to be influenced by people and want to be uh, to please other people and make make the group happy or give in to a group because you're the minority, but I think it's important that you, well, it's important that you base your decisions on all the facts and not on emotion, uh, but that you also listen to your gut because that uh, you've often find truth there. You know, what you really think is right or what you want. Uh, So I I think if you keep all that in mind uh, and you feel like, like you're doing the right thing, then you can't go wrong. I mean, you may be overruled on something. Uh, you may make a decision that you regret temporarily but then you realize that you, you grew and you learned or you mm-hmm. found out that this particular thing wasn't really what you thought all those years that you might wanna do. Um, so there's a lot of uh, thoughts like that that I think that can help you uh, move on from one decision or make the right decision in the first place or feel free to disagree with colleagues about Mm -hmm. it's being done in an adult way.
1: Yeah, definitely big emphasis on the adult way because you kind of can't really be like, oh, you're wrong. I don't like what you said. And then you can't really move on. Yeah. (laughs)
0: um, Social media has kind of brought out the worst in some people because, you you know, when we're driving in a car and the windows are rolled up and you're mad at someone and you're cussing them out, you know they can't hear you. Mm-hmm. you're just mad because they turned in front of you or whatever you most people would probably never say those things to them if they thought the other person can hear them so so people a lot of people sort of hide behind social media even though your your social media name or identity is there because you're not physically there saying it to them people think that they can i, I don't know people are just a lot they're a lot more uh um, Blunt, sarcastic, uh, and destructive in some ways in yeah. social media. So, uh, we we need to try to be better than that. I think there's there's ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And you can disagree and be gracious about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I definitely think with how things have been when it comes to having disagreements, I do feel like it's kind of turned to a social faux pas to openly disagree with someone because just with how disagreements have been seen now like it seems just like it's always aggressive it's always negative but really just dis- sometimes disagreement is what helps you move forward to the best thing because yeah. mm-hmm, because sometimes you have to outwardly disagree with someone to be able to talk about it and be able to do the best for extracurricular any job position that Absolutely. you hold
0: and, and there are ways to disagree appropriately I mean just you 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 state why you disagree you you're disagreeing with the idea. You're not disagreeing with the goodness of the person. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not swearing at them. You're, <laughs> you're not calling him an idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that we've heard over the last few years on national TV, things like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there are ways to do it that are that are productive and not counterproductive.
1: Mm-hmm. And I do feel like, especially with nutrition students, speaking up sometimes can be a little... It can be daunting or, um, what's the the word? It's kind of like stressful or intimidating. It can be a little intimidating to speak up about certain things. And it can also just be intimidating to reach out to certain people if, um, just honestly intimidating kind of being the one to put the foot forward with anything, whether it's something that you genuinely doesn't sit right with you that you want to talk about or even just you knowing that you genuinely want to do something, but you're just too afraid to put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And so do you have any advice for nutrition students when it comes to putting that first first foot forward and kind of just taking that leap of faith, even if it's kind of a little bit of a leap into the unknown as to, how to get rid of those negative thoughts or things towards whether it's like a disagreement or making a decision that is a little risky but you know like what might be on that other end like you know
0: yeah i mean uh, it, a lot of it depends on what it is that that you're saying or doing or having concerns about i mean if we we always want to make sure that we're basing disagreement we want to make sure that we're basing everything we say on on actual evidence. Um, There there are a lot of people in our profession, maybe not a lot, but there's a a small percentage of people in our profession that don't necessarily practice based on real evidence. They they jump on whatever is the latest bandwagon and it's kind of bringing the rest of us down by their um, focusing on something that is not really proven uh, with evidence. Uh, but I mean, it just depends on the situation that you're in. Uh, it's okay to say, will you help me understand your your thoughts on this or your position on this better? Or here are my concerns. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, have I uh, have I been misinformed or help me understand this better? Really just, I mean, there are all sorts of situations we can apply to the, those questions that you asked. But um, I think think it's just if we just approach it and wanting to learn uh if you're not an expert in an area it's okay to admit that and asking another person for help um you may disagree with them and there may be a, there's a polite way to do that uh, so i don't know if it really answered your question oh
1: no yeah because it's mainly yeah you're it. perfectly fine because it's mainly just the aspect of a lot of I mean, there's a lot of students in general because of where they are in their professional journey. And this kind of applies to any job or anything as a student, we kind of feel like, oh, the, the confidence definitely goes down a couple notches because it's like, I'm only a student. I'm still learning. I don't know how much I do know. I don't know how much is in my place to reach out or to do these sorts of things. And so definitely you mentioning the aspect of it's all it's all a learning experience, no matter what it is. Like you could be a student, you could be twenty years into the profession. Oh, yeah. Everything is a learning experience, no matter what. But it kind of depends on your mindset towards it, for sure. And it's just kind of not changing that mindset, whether you're a student, a professional, or anything like right,
0: that. Right, right. And you know, hopefully, the the preceptors that the students have in their in their internship programs are. Uh, have the right attitude about everything. That they are evidence based. That they are um, want the students mm-hmm. to learn. And I mean, there are a lot of really wonderful preceptors out there. You see people getting preceptor of the year awards and things like that. I I want everyone that's in that kind of a role to be nurturing to students oh, and help. Sure. I
1: mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's
0: why we're doing what we do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially during dietetic internships, that's probably one one of the most stressful times as an undergraduate student and right before the RD exam, because not only are you going into a completely new work setting, but also whatever preceptor you have pretty much is going to set the tone for how your rotation is going to be. Yeah. mm -hmm, Because um, just they're the ones teaching you in that rotation and you kind of really have to, you have to go with the flow, with pretty much everything, and I know, and you probably know with nutrition students, we're all type A, we like things organized in a specific way, and if it doesn't go that specific way, we will go insane, and so um, when it comes to that flexibility and stuff as well, like, and you've, and I'm sure with the leadership positions that you've held, there have been things thrown at you that you've just been like, I, wasn't expected or you had to respond a certain way just on the whim. And so if you, whenever or if you've had those experiences did you learn anything from it or do you have any advice that you would give um, nutrition students about being flexible, being adaptable and kind of not not necessarily escaping that type a mindset but kind of being able to be more flexible with it.
0: Yeah, oh well, wow. there's so many different ways I could answer that so it's a, it's a very broad. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. I I I was a media spokesperson for the Academy for um, about seven years, and I'll I'll freely admit the one thing I was not that good at was sound bites, putting it all in a sound bite, a brief sound bite, Mm -hmm. if I was asked a question. Uh, And so that was really a skill that I admired in a lot of my other colleagues. Um, There are situations where or as a leader in a leadership role, uh, if I presented at a state meeting, we we the academy presidents sometimes presidents like will often be invited to state uh, uh, annual meetings to uh, give some sort of a presentation. It's usually this uh, what's called the academy update presentation, and about all the benefits of being an academy member and all that. And I and I had people challenge me on some things that. I might not have been quite as prepared for like the academy's industry relationships. Uh, uh, this was even before they had the sponsorship guidelines. So as a leader, you you want to try to be prepared for um, any sort of question you might, might be asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: yeah. I guess it's really just preparing for like preparing for what you can, but then also just being open. Because again, it's kind of it's kind of um, bringing back. the learning experience aspect that we were talking about just if you keep everything with an open mind and open learning experience you'll take the good from it you'll go through the bad and then you know next rotation the other thing is it's
0: it's important to understand that it's okay to say i don't know Mm -hmm. Uh, um, even when i was on a media interview if there was something that i was asked about a certain area don't try to fake it and come Mm -hmm some sort of jumbled answer just say uh it's not an area that i know as much about or let me just get right back to you like if i was working with a reporter on a on a a printed media story then i could just get back to him with other information later Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: but whatever that whatever it is it's okay to say i don't know the answer to that Mm -hmm. i can find out i can find out or i can get you to the person that's an expert in that area. Like I I have people coming to me all the time just because of my role in the academy leadership. They'll ask me anything and everything, whatever it is, whether it's, oh, it's May 15th and I need 20 more CPEU credits before the 31st, the end of the year. What do I, I, I always, because of all my involvement in leadership roles over the year, I know who to send them to or I know who I can ask the answer so if you don't know it's okay and going to find the right person or the right resource to get the answer is the way to go.
1: Yeah, and I definitely think dietetic internships kind of have that perfect platform of I mean, it's you'd much rather especially in the learning stage it's a it's honestly expected for you in some situations to say I don't know because I feel like if a preceptor had a student or an intern that knew everything and anything under the sun, that'd be a bit of a that would be an anomaly more than anything. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, when it comes to RD to be's and di- like whether they're a dietetic intern, an undergrad student, they're just in school or they're about to take the RD exam, is there, any, is there one thing that you would want an RD to be to know just about the profession or just there was something that you wish you knew when you were going through the process that you would have wanted to know?
0: Well, I think. Uh, the first thought that comes to my mind, it, it is probably the most diverse profession there is. Mm-hmm. Of any profession at all, it's the most diverse, the, the variety of career paths that people could take. Uh, and it's not just those six or seven practice areas that we've always heard about forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that being said, my, my thought is you'll find your passion and you'll end up in that area or pursue your passion. It may take a few years. Maybe you want to be a clinical dietitian for a couple of years before you get a master's in public health or an MBA or a master's in informatics or something like that, because you want to get a foundation, mm-hmm. uh, but find your passion and make a plan to, to get there.
1: Yeah. And I think those are really good words to go by even starting yourself as a freshman and undergrad and moving all the way to the RD exam. So thank you so much for uh, being here today with us, Marty. It was wonderful hearing about your transition from, clin- from being a clinical dietitian all the way to informatics and to what you've done with the academy. So thank you just for being here today.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.